You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, and W Wheels. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, but with us on the line, we've got two-time 125 Supercross champion, none other than Brian Swink. Swinkster, how's it going? It's going good, man. My life's good. Live down here in the sunshine state. And how can you beat? Just you really cannot beat that. that. Um, <laughs> wanted, to, wanted to lead off the conversation by asking you, Brian Squink, when was the last time that you felt fast riding a motorcycle? Uh, probably 20 years ago. <laughs> it's 20 been years a long ago. Time, man. Yeah, it's been now, a you, long you time. You haven't put any time on a bike? I, I don't ride motorcycles no more. I, I quit racing in 97. I rode a handful of times since then. I rode a four-stroke probably six, five or six times in my life. So that's how really? cool I am. Yes, sir. Wow. Well, it is two-stroke Tuesday, so uh, we've got that going for us. And uh, But uh, before we get too far into this, thank you very much for uh, giving me some time to uh, pick your brain and, and kind of go through your career a little bit and, uh, and giving uh, the Big MX Radio Show some time. Yes, sir. I'll do it to anybody. I love moto, and I, you know, I got away from it for a little bit. It, it, I got away from it between when I quit, and there was no internet, and there was no television coverage of it, and I, I fell fell off of it. But then, when it started internet and television coverage, then I got totally back involved. So on a Saturday night, are you glued to the television just like uh, all of us uh, watching the next Supercross race? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to get your take uh, before we talk about your career. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, racers today, the scene today, and uh, do you ever uh, make it out to any rounds? Of course, being in the uh, the Sunshine State, um, they uh, the, the the races come down to you a couple of times. No, I. I don't. Uh, two years ago, I went to Daytona. Okay. A year ago, I went to the Monster Cup. Um, but now I, I really don't. I don't know. It's it, it's it's hard to explain, and I can't even put it in words where it sounds right. But I, I love moto, and I watch it, but I don't study it, and I don't. It, it's not my life. I guess is okay. what I'm going to say, you know, but I don't like football. I don't like baseball. I don't have nothing to do with any of that other stuff, but I follow okay. motocross. Fair enough. It's good that it's good to hear that you follow it and that you're, you're, you're still an active fan in it. Um, like who, who are your summer, your, your favorite guys to watch or, uh, did, are there any riders nowadays that kind of remind you of, uh, some of the, some of the elements that you brought to the table as a professional? I think uh, Dungey's perfect. Like 
everything he does is almost perfect. Like he's not super fast. He's not, he he don't have his bad days. He don't have good days. Everything's good. But Mm -hmm. for me, I like guys more like Barsha, you know, let's let's get in there and get down and bang it up. Bam, bam. You know, so. I don't have one favorite rider. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't like one person. I, I think they're all incredibly talented, and, and I enjoy watching them ride. And I, I like to put them, see them put out the effort, and it's, it's always fun to watch. Good hard racing is always fun to watch, regardless of uh, of who comes out on top. And uh, before we get too far into this, I wanted to give a special thanks to uh, Don Schneider for uh, kind of connecting us a little bit. He had uh, first uh, mentioned this podcast to you, and uh, you obliged. You said you'd love to have uh, come on the show. So uh, thanks to Don for uh, for making this connection, and uh, and now we get to have a uh, a nice trip down memory lane. Yes, sir. So, yeah, I've done other podcasts where we're we're pretty dark and stuff, but my life's not a dark life. I, I got a good life, and you know, and in my good memories should be shown too. For sure, let let let's show off those highlights. And uh, um, honestly, as far as uh, for 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 my money, I can't think of a, a bigger highlight in in my life than the first time that uh, my dad brought home a, a little yellow Suzuki when I was about nine years old. And uh, everyone everyone seems to remember when they got their first bike. Uh, I would love for you to uh, to tell me the story of, of how you got introduced to motocross for the very first time. Do you, do you recall the earliest of days? Yeah, I do a little bit. <laughs> you know, I had a few concussions, <laughs> but um, when geez, I was six years old, my brother got introduced to racing through a friend of his, and I had to go watch him race all year. My brother's—I I don't even know. I don't know. It's kind of sad, but he's like eight years older than me or something. So, but I was only six, so I couldn't race. And at that time, you had to be seven. Seven to 11 was the youngest class you could race. And when I turned seven um, in December, I uh, got a RN60 for my birthday. And I went out and I learned how to ride and race all at the same time, you know, looping out off the starting line, figuring out how to use a clutch. We, we didn't have all these, you know, little bikes and stuff where you could start riding when you're three. So I was seven years old, and it took off from there because I I played uh, like little league baseball and stuff, and I hated the fact that I had to depend on my teammates to be make me successful, make me good. Right. And this was something that I, I started wrestling, and then from there it's all me, and then I got into racing, and it's like here we go. This is all me. If I mess up, then there ain't nobody to blame but me. And that and it took off from there, man. Absolutely, and, and for the first time on the on the national stage aboard a, a Yamaha sixty, um, you made your way down to uh, Hurricane Mills, Loretta Lynn's, and um, and started a, a career as an amateur that would. Uh, be um, pretty storied, a very successful career for you. You you went from the Suzuki onto the Yamaha. Um, do, do you remember much about those earliest of days uh, riding uh, the the Yamahas and uh, what kind of support you might have had? 
I had no support. Uh, my mom was a waitress. My dad worked at General Motors. Uh, he just a, like basically a he's a forklift driver. We had no money, and just my mom and dad did everything to make it work to take care of their son. Not because there was a career there at that time, but it you know ended up working out pretty good for me. Anyways, I don't know about for sure. them. It probably killed their retirement. But, you know, it worked out good for me that that, that they were willing to hang out there for me. So over the, over the course of the following eight years, you, you never missed a year going to Loretta Lynn's, uh, you were, you, you got on Kawasaki's by 83. Um, how much did, did, uh, Loretta Lynn's change during that time? Like, I believe like the. One of the you're you're part of like the very first years of Loretta Lynn's, and of course you see the pictures and videos from how it is now. Um, see, knowing where it all started, like can can you quite believe like how it, how far it's come? Well, yeah, it's came a long way. I I think I raced Loretta Lynn's the first year it was because I remember racing my first amateur national somewhere in North Carolina, and my parents couldn't go. I went with some friends. Uh, mm-hmm. the Kessingers and the, I went with them because I qualified but then I think the next year I started racing the right of limbs I think I raced it every year only year I missed was uh, what would have been 89 I had a broken femur so I missed it That's that right. one you know, year you're not there. yeah but, but from like 82 or 83 whenever it started I, I raced it every year right through that you know, right until I turned pro. So, uh, I don't know. I had a bit of big effect on me. The, the track looks the same. I think the track sucks. I, I, I think it's an awful amateur track. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's flat. There's no hills. And, you, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're talking motocross, right? It's supposed to be hilly mm-hmm. and rolly and all that crap. But, yeah, I know the Coombs people don't like me saying that, but, <laughs> you know, that's the truth. In, hey, everyone's open to their own opinion, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a track that no one gets to ride all year long. It's it's very unique that in that way, but uh, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not necessarily the greatest track in the world. You're right; it's it's uh, some unique features. Uh, it's tight. I couldn't imagine riding it on a 450 or even a, a 252 stroke. Um, but uh, you happen to, to grab yourself a, a, a 250 A class uh, A stock, a stock uh, championship um, not two years after taking the four. 14 to 15 85 stock class. So, um, that, that, that's, that's something right there. Yeah. I, uh, well, I use that here because I broke my femur twice. Not once, twice. Uh, first time I was riding back, I broke it again. So it, so I missed 18 months of racing. So instead of turning pro and going on, I, uh, I went back to Royal Lens and I rode the stock class, which at that time, I don't know how they do it now. At that time, the stock class, if you go to any pro races, you can't ride. It, which, so McGrath, Ryan Hughes, those guys rode Supercross the year before. And I didn't. So I rode stock class and I pretty much handily had that. You know what I mean? But I didn't have a lot of competition. And then right after that, I went to Millville, Minnesota, and rode 
uh, national. You finished off the national series with, with some good finishes as well. Uh, some elevens, the pair of eights to, to round out the series. Um, let, let's chat a little bit about um, your uh, your establishment and your your development as an amateur. We go from from a very young age, starting just just riding and, and learning the sport, to uh, eventually by 1984, uh, you're you're a top five guy at Loretta's every single year. It seems. Um, did did Kawasaki uh, put you on the the Team Green program? What kind of uh, support were you getting uh, from from different sponsors and stuff like that? And uh, as an as a, an 11 year old, what was it like to uh, to all of a sudden start to get uh, some attention and, and some free stuff here and there. Well, it was good. I mean, of course, you, you you can't believe it, you know, because you don't, you don't really expect it. But uh, I went through a dealer, uh, a dealer support ride where I got bikes cheaper through the dealer. Somehow, I, I, I don't know their, the way they worked it out where maybe Team Green or Kawasaki gave the bikes to the dealer cheap. So I could buy them cheap, and then it, it was a short time, and uh, I was getting free bikes, and you know, free gear and free everything. Or, or I'd never made it in that sport because my parents didn't make the money, like a lot of these, you know, parents make where they're driving these three, four hundred thousand dollar motorhomes and shit. It wasn't like right. that. I, I came from complete middle class, and only way I made it was because. I don't know. I, I luckily, and, and my mom worked hard at getting these sponsors and working hard. And I, I don't know <laughs> because we, we never thought it would be a career for me. It was just something. If you're gonna do it, you go. You go at it. You go full on. And it's just funny because some people don't look at it that way. And we went on it full on, like never expecting to make a living at it. Right. Just be so. the best you can. Yeah, if you're gonna do something, do it. Absolutely, and um, like like throughout your your amateur career, you you had many a different rivals, and uh, both I'm sure back in Michigan as well as uh, almost perennially at uh, at Loretta Lynn's. Um, back back home, like who, who did you square off uh, with on a regular basis? Like, uh, um, or and did you travel a, a fair bit? Like, were you going over to to Minnesota to uh, to battle with guys like Chad Patterson? No, uh, no, uh, pretty much Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. The Laco pretty much rode in my area, but he's over in Maine. And uh, most of the guys that I, I really fought with. I wouldn't say fight with, but, you know, battled with, were a year or two older than me. Nobody my age or younger. Eric McClear, he eventually became one of my complete rivals at local races, but we uh, we were best friends, too. So we were cool, you know what I mean? We, we had no issues. But growing up, uh, John Kitch, me and John Kitch hated each other. And I want to kill that guy. Every time I rode a motorcycle, I wanted to wreck him. It, I didn't. If it was, I didn't care if I won or lost. If as long as I wrecked him, then I won the race. And we went back and forth like this for years. And then all of a sudden, we become friends at one point in our lives. And he ended up being my mechanic at one point in my professional career. 
you know. There you go, spinning, go, going from uh, from first corner takeouts to uh, spinning wrenches and and uh, flashing the pit board every time you come around. Um, yeah. Now. Uh, your your championships are as a supercross rider, but uh, of course the the late, the eighties and nineties not known for having uh, great facilities or any facilities to practice supercross to hone your skills at supercross. Um, how, how did like as a as a young rider did you did you ride any of the amateur days? Like what, how how would you have uh, developed any skills as far as supercross goes? I, I didn't really. I just I rode motorcycles and. Uh, a good friend of mine, Gene Newmack, his dad built a supercross track at his house, and that was uh, pre-91, late 90, and it was in Florida, and I went, and they built a set of whoops, because I never rode whoops before, so like supercross-style whoops, and I'd go right. back and forth, back and forth. I, I wouldn't go one way and turn around and go that same way again. i go back and forth, so I'm chopping them up all day in that that's how I learned. I mean, just pure grit and just go, I'm going to learn how to do this because I don't know how to do it. And I'm fixing to figure it out. And I don't know, a lot of people, you know, didn't do it. They didn't put in the work. It, when I say, you know, I, I've been known to be the guy that gets tired and stuff. I didn't run, I didn't bicycle, I didn't do all that crap as much as I should have, I reckon. But when it came time to putting a time in on a motorcycle, I did you it. You put in the laps. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours. And people would go, Man, you're gonna burn out. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna burn out but I did eventually, you know. <laughs> it took it took years and it that that's why so many people said He's natural on a motorcycle. You know why I was natural? Because I rode the motorcycle that much. Where is it like you walking? It becomes one foot in front of the other. How important is it? Uh, do you feel that, that that part is to the development of a young rider is uh, seat time over anything else? Um, like we always want to be like practicing drills and, and practicing with a purpose, but uh, just going out there and and feeling the motorcycle, knowing what it's going to do underneath you in all conditions, and and, and getting that seat time. Um, how how important do you feel like that is to uh, to a young rider's progression? I think it's very important. And like I said, everybody always thought that I didn't work hard and they thought it was a natural gift. The natural gift was that I put six hours a day in on the motorcycle. And if I, if I seen a square hole sometimes, you know, cutting sideways, what's going to swap me a little bit, I'll hit it just to know what the motorcycle is going to do. And I can feel it and I can ride it out, you know, just to know. Um, if you're riding a bicycle, what are you going to do the most? You ride a bicycle. If you're riding a motorcycle, the most you should do is ride a bi- motorcycle. Where some of these guys nowadays, they're riding their bicycle more than they're riding their motorcycle. And to me, that's that's not the way to do it. Whatever it right, is exactly. you're trying to conquer, you need to do that first. 
For sure. I, I always, it kind of goofs me out when I see like how many hours uh, guys are logging on road bikes, um, like to get their hearts in, in, in right heart zones and stuff like that. Like in, in my opinion, like what would prepare you better to race a motorcycle than riding a motorcycle? Bingo. You know what I mean? Like, like how how else? Yeah. Like I, I, like how would you, how would you get your heart in the right zone any other way than riding the, riding the bike? But, uh, that's, um, uh, much, much smarter trainers than me are are figuring these things out. But, uh, it's good to hear that, uh, you're of of the same mind, get out on the bike, put as much time as you can. And, uh, when you're putting in all that time, especially as a young rider, uh, who's doing all the work on your bikes? Was it, was it you? Was it your dad? Who, who is spinning the wrenches? Uh, as a young rider, my dad, yeah, my, my dad worked his tail off. He, you know, he worked a normal job every day, you know, at General Motors. And then he worked five hours on motorcycles every day because I'd wear them out every day. But, you know, as, as I became, uh, I bought my own house and stuff. I worked on my own bikes and I didn't, we didn't make enough money to pay to have a practice bike mechanic. And even today when I hear these guys have practice bike mechanics and you're talking about a guy getting sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth place in a 125 Supercross, he's got a practice bike oh, mechanic. Guys who don't even qualify. <laughs> it, it, cra- it cracks me up, man. <laughs> yeah. I just start laughing. I'm like, these guys are such fags. <laughs> Excuse my language, but yeah. you know what I mean. They, they can't. Uh, they they can't change a top end. They can't change a rear tire. You know what I mean. They can't adjust their chain. No. What the hell is wrong with them? What are they going to do? You know because, ah, it's, it's, because uh, if, if uh, they're getting seventh, eighth, tenth place in a one twenty five, or I, I call it one twenty five still, and I always will probably same here. lights class, then. Mm-hmm. You ain't ever going to make a living at this shit. So you better learn how to work on these things. <laughs> I know it's a little harsh, right? But Oh, for I'm sure. No, I, I, totally, I, I totally agree. Like, uh, like, all, like these guys that I hear, uh, they, they got a mechanic for this, they got a mechanic for that on race day. They're, fly, they're flying to the races and they're not making as much as their flights uh, on, on the race nights. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's backwards thinking, but uh, it's all about chasing right. that dream. Um obviously uh as as a as a young amateur as well as as a professional you guys were in box vans um like at, at the earliest part of your, your professional career were you uh were you in the box van with uh, like traveling like on the road no no i i did i did fly i, I mean i i okay. drove to what i could drive to you know right. in by living in the summers in michigan I, I could hit all the North Midwest tracks, you know, by driving and I would. And then in the winters I lived, I, I stayed in Florida. So it was pretty easy for me to drive to majority of the supercross races, but, well, but awesome. I did so fly. Cool. Yeah, I did fly a lot. 
Before we jump in, into your professional career, I want to talk a little bit about those final years that you spent uh, as an amateur. I know you, you, you had already mentioned that you'd broken your femur twice and that kept you off the bike for a short bit, but uh, uh, between 87 and, uh, and 90, uh, you're basically untouchable uh, at Loretta's and, and, and a lot of the other uh, amateur nationals, um, taking home a lot of championships. Um, to me, at that time of your life, you got to feel 50 feet tall and bulletproof. You got to feel like uh, you, you're, you're pretty much unstoppable. Um, is that pretty much uh, what sums it up right there? Is that, that you were uh, like really feeling it at that point in time, uh, taking moto wins away from a guy like Buddy Antonez, who uh, is, is more often than not considered one of the best amateur riders ever? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I didn't feel like anybody could beat me at that point. And, yeah. And that's what makes you great. <laughs> it it sucks because you got to be somewhat cocky. And, well, later in this conversation we'll hear where I lost that cockiness and I lost that feeling. And, <laughs> you know, it crashed me. Yeah, you you can't beat me. And you, you have that dead set in your mind. And if somebody's in front of you and they're ten seconds in front of you, and there's three laps to go, you're like, I'll run them down. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but you have that dead hard feeling that you will. You you're gonna do it because you're better than that person in front of you. Which ain't Absolutely. always true. And, and- the that that's what comes down to the the mental side of motocross and mo- motocross is about as mental a sport as any yet like uh i've often said that like it, it passing the person ahead of you is more in the mind than it is in your actual ability if 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 uh if you're behind if 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 Ryan Villapoto was ever behind Ryan Dungey, in his mind he knows i'm faster than that guy i'm going i'm going to put i'm going to put a pass on him right away here whereas I would often say that uh, with 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 the roles reverse, Dungey in second place, Villapoto in, in in first. More often than not, Dungey is thinking, "I might not be able to get past this guy," and that thought in and of itself is what keeps him behind. Yeah, that, that, that's perfect. Uh, when when I was racing, and Stanton was still around. All right, okay. I'm starting. I'm starting to fatigue late in a race, and you know everybody does. I, I don't give a care who you are. Nobody don't fatigue you if you're pushing your body to the limit, which everybody does. And I'm starting to fatigue, and I look behind me. You know, I'm not I'm not talking about turn around and look, but you look out of a corner, and you got Stanton behind you. You almost go, well, I know he's in better shape than me, and he's going to pass me. All right? Then you got another guy that you feel like you're stronger than, you're in better shape than them, and you're in the same physical condition. And you don't give up, but you mentally you mentally break for certain people. It, it, does that make sense? Absolutely. No, uh, that's uh, that that you, echoes my point. It's you, you, you uh, mentally fatigue, and you just go, "Damn, I give up." You basically give up is what you're doing. You, you didn't reach that next level that a lot of people will. And but if you feel like you're stronger than that person behind you you can push yourself so much further it's crazy 
yeah, you, you find that speed. You, you find those faster braking points. You can you find a way to brake later, get on the gas sooner because you know you have that, that edge over top of, of your competition. It's no different than when a local pro uh, comes up on, on the, the rear end of my motorcycle. If I know who it is, like, oh, that guy's a lot faster than me. He's, gonna, he's about to go past me. And, and, and more often than not, he does. And, and same thing for him. And he comes up on me and he's thinking, no, oh, Gebhardt's not the, not the fastest guy in the world. Watch, this, watch me blow his doors off. Uh, he's going to do, do that exact thing. So, um, yeah, it, it, this is a super mental sport. And uh, uh, I got to think that uh, in 1987, uh, from an adolescent point of view, uh, and, and in through, through uh, 1990, um, confidence could not have been higher for you. No, I was good. I, I, I didn't think anybody could beat me. Yeah, like, like you're on, right, a, on a amateur levels, level. Who, who are some of your teammates? In when in nineties? Yeah, like who are some of the guys that you, like who are some of the guys that you that were on Team Green with you back in nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, Rhino, yeah, Ryan, yeah, all of us. Those are I bad mean, guys. We, yeah, we were all the same. In in to go forward, not to bypass your question, but mm-hmm. Kawasaki could have had. I would have rode for him because I rode for him forever. McGrath. Rhino, I don't know. There, there was a handful of guys, and uh, they they had their choice. They they were going to choose one guy, one young guy, and they chose Rhino. And then Honda put me and Jeremy. And unfortunately for Cali, me and Jeremy dominated for the next two years. That you did, back to back champions in in both uh, in, in on both coasts. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I I want to talk like as you're stepping into the pro ranks, we're uh, like I said, we're 50 feet tall and bulletproof. We're the baddest man on two wheels, as far as Brian Swing's concerned. You step into uh, Millville, Minnesota, my, one of my favorite national tracks. You go go out there and take an 11th overall. Uh, follow that up the very next weekend with a 15th, and you round out Buds Creek and Unit. Dillo with a pair of eighth place finishes, feeling pretty good on an amateur uh, Kawasaki ride. Um, did did you get an offer from Kawasaki, or I guess you just already mentioned it, that the the ride went to Ryan Hughes? Uh, no love for a kid who uh, put in some pretty decent rides. Yeah, no, nothing. And, and I'll tell you that fifteenth place uh, was very simple. It was I passed Guy Cooper for the lead. And was winning the national on a. Mm-hmm. I was in a motorhome with my parents, you know, on a basically a stock team green Kawasaki motorcycle, nothing fancy about it. And I was winning, and I was, couldn't believe it. You know, I'm shitting my pants myself, and uh, I got a flat tire. And when I was going up the hills, my tire starts, my uh, rim lock broke, so I start spinning my wheel on my tire. So I DNF'd one of those motos, that's why I got a 15th, or I could have been right around like a fifth, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, it's so right there, I was kind of proven I, I, I can ride at this level. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's going to take some work, you know, it, it ain't going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight, but uh, you did go out there on uh, on a on a peak uh, pro circuit Honda in uh, in 1991, and um, you didn't do too bad. Um, 
do you, do you recall your first ever Supercross race on January twelfth, nineteen ninety one, in Orlando, Florida? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I do. Um, yeah, I, I was I don't know riding around in like tenth or something. And I just kept plucking away, plucking away, and I remember me and Rhino because now we became rivals. But I was friends with Rhino. I in Team Green days, I used to stay at his house with him. You know, okay. it, it, his parents' house. So we weren't like we we were good friends, and uh, it, it came down to like the last straightaway, and I, I just pinned it. I'm not the back and he's hanging off the back and we're going through whoops shortly before the finish line. And when we went across the finish line, I look over to my side and I didn't even know who won. That's how close it was. Rhino didn't know who won. And we had to wait for the officials to say who won, but that's how close we were. But and, and, I know and you, you ended up I, taking I thought, the victory and it's, yeah. Yeah, and then it didn't went on from there. It, it like destroyed Rhino's confidence and made mine go through the roof, and every everything changed for I would say both of us at that point. And then, like, I went on a winning streak, and he went on a it, not not a losing streak. I wouldn't say losing, you know, but he, Rhino was a bad dude, and he still is. So I don't know. It, and then I know a funny story when I tested with Mitch Payton in that off season, that preseason, it's, it's a real good story, right? Right. <laughs> we went testing in, at, at these tracks that didn't, they weren't really tracks. They were like in the hills and stuff. And I, I call them goat trails, you know, or they were like goat trail wide and everybody's cutting corners. So now I'm with Lamson, Buell, and McGrath, and myself. And, and they're going two seconds a lap faster than me. And Mitch Payton can't figure out why I'm so goddamn slow. Well, I'm trying to figure out my motorcycle, and if I can concentrate on my motorcycle, I'm usually pretty good at, I don't know, getting what I like, you know? I know you got to go at speed, but not, you, you don't have to push it, and you don't have to cut corners and all that. And we weren't racing yet. And Mitch tells me, he's like, later, Mitch didn't say nothing at the time, but mm-hmm. later, after I started winning, Mitch says, funny shit, he says, dude, I was so bummed on you when you first started. And he's like, <laughs> you were two seconds a lot slower than every guy I had. And Honda hired you. Honda hired me and Jeremy first before the whole pro circuit deal fell together. And then, so we got put on that team, but we were still through Honda. And, uh, he's like, I, I thought, what, what the hell are they do to me here? And he said, I asked you one time, it, this is me repeating Mitch's story. I don't remember saying it. And he said, right, you right, say, right. he said, you say in your slow little Midwestern accent, don't worry, dude, when we get to the first race, it'll be, it'll be on. I'll handle it. <laughs> <laughs> he just starts laughing every time he tells that story. I've heard him tell it like three or four times, and he tried to say it like slow motion. Like I, I guess I talk slow. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But he always <laughs> says, "Don't worry, dude. It'll be cool the first race." And I, I remember winning the first race and looking down at Mitch, and he's just sitting there in his wheelchair, 
smiling, shaking his head, like, I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> Gosh, that he's going to do it. He did it. <laughs> like well, as far as the, the team goes, y- you would have uh, supplied Mitch with his very first uh, Supercross win, am I correct? Absolutely, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. First, that's like first Supercross win, first championship win. Yeah, like the like the the first uh, the first number one plate that's on uh, Mitch's door, uh, yeah. which has been iconic for for the last twenty years, is uh, is Brian Swink's championships. That's got to be pretty cool. Uh, basically, kicking off uh, the dominance of a brand of a of a team that uh, kicked some serious ass for what well, still continues to this day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. When you guys got uh, hired by Honda, did you and Jeremy think that it was like a full-blown factory Honda ride, or? Yeah, yeah, that's what we were told. Okay. We we didn't and know. Were you that disappointed that that, that wasn't so, the case? Uh, I didn't really care. I just wanted to race. But I, I remember uh, Jeremy's father said, <laughs> point blank, I ain't riding for no hop-up shop which he called Pro Circuit, a hop-up shop, which turned out to be, uh, you know, it was just a spur of the moment, I don't know, comment, I guess. But, you know, it it was better that we were with Mitch because we got one-on-one interaction with Mitch rather than if we were at Honda, who would have been first, Bale and Stan, right? Right, exactly. Side stuff totally. So, so how were the bikes? You, you you'd mentioned that you you had to do some work on it to to get it to your liking. Was it were they good bikes? Oh, those bikes were so fast, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I think Jeremy I, still has people, his. I'd pass people down the straightaways. I mean, just pass them on outdoor races. And then I switched to Suzuki's, and guys are passing me down the straightaways, and it was so frustrating and so annoying. I mean, most people wouldn't even conceive the, the feeling I felt, you know. So o- only one year with Mitch, the, the 91 season, almost uh, kind of a storybook season for you as far as Supercross went. Uh, outdoors, not as successful, but still a second place in Washougal. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, like you, you're passing After five races, the I was leading the championship. That's right. Um what? Uh, why not stick with Mitch for uh, for 1992? I had problems getting parts. Uh, it was a little disorganized. It was a first-year team, and it wasn't even a first-year. It, it was a late startup first-year team. So it, it was just completely, for me, I thought, disorganized to be at the professional level. And that's why I thought I would go to Suzuki which has been around there forever, and it wasn't no better. But I, I had a hard time, because like I said, I wrote a lot, I practiced a lot, and I had a hard time at Pro Circuit getting uh, parts, uh, new bikes, practice bikes, mm-hmm. like mostly practice stuff. My, my race stuff was good. And, uh, Hey, it was a mistake I made. Another mistake in life, you know. Yeah, I, I should have never left, but I did. And 
chapter. Yeah, these things happen, but uh, like, um, what was the, what was the demo or the the psychographic of the the team? Like, you've got Jeremy McGrath, who uh, the two of you guys are on the opposite coast, but being extremely dominant. You've got Jeremy Buell in there, who uh, was also considered to be one of the the, the best amateurs coming up. Um, and uh, was it Lamson was on the, on the team as well? Correct. Yes, sir, Lamson. And so you, you've got four four guys on the team that were all highly touted, all very fast, and uh, uh, mostly SoCal guys. And then yourself, how did you guys uh, connect? And uh, was there any like uh, team bonding and, and stuff that you guys did away from the track? Uh, yeah, tons. Uh, we were all friends. I mean, the whole throughout the whole nineties, everybody was friends. I mean, we were all buddies. In Typically, you end up becoming better friends with the guys that are on your team because you sit the same hotels, you're testing at the same tracks. You know, you spend a lot of time together. But yeah, we were we were all really good friends. I I was good friends with Jeremy Buell way before this. Uh, as amateurs, we were friends because he lived in Ohio. I lived in Michigan. Right. And I would travel to Ohio to race try to find competition to race. He would come to Michigan. And, I mean, we, we were more than Cowies. Yes. Uh, everybody was Team Green then. But we were, <laughs> you know, we were we were almost just friends that raced. You know what I mean? And then Jeremy, I, I didn't really get to know Jeremy until... He started riding for Mitch, but me and Jeremy, we roomed together a lot. Well, okay. of course, he was winning. I was winning. Who do the chicks want? <laughs> the guys who are winning. Let's hang out together. There dude. you go. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Like, you, the two of you guys were unstoppable in 91. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That would not have been bad whatsoever. Uh, it'd be a, a tough, uh, tough decision to to move away from that in '92. But uh, with, with the Suzuki came uh, came more wins. Um, you, you lined up for your first uh, arena or for Supercross on a 250 um, Suzuki, but uh, your first round on 125 Atlanta uh, again. You take the first uh, take the first round in 1992 or. On uh, in February the twenty second, um, a pretty good pretty good year for you so far. Or, Orlando, yeah. sorry, Orlando was the first first race, and uh, you take the first three rounds: Atlanta, Houston, and uh, and Orlando. You take all three rounds and uh, in convincing fashion. Uh, didn't seem to miss a beat on the bike. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything was good. Still um, pulling chicks. I, I was confident. Huh. Were you still pulling chicks in '92? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm number one on a Suzuki. <laughs> I'm the best. Yeah. <laughs> of course, man. That's who were some of your teammates in '92? Oh shit! I I can't remember that far back. Um, uh, I I don't know. I got to be uh, real tight with Ezra Lusk. We, okay, we spent yeah. a lot of time Ezra. together. Ezra was, yeah, because I raced with him that year. And um, Ezra's a good kid, you know, hard worker. We, we had, we Grayson had a lot of Goodman? Time. Was, Gr- was Grayson Goodman on the, on the team? 
Oh, he, he was he, just on Suzuki's. That's correct. Yeah, he was on Suzuki. Yeah, but Grayson, good kid. Grayson's a great kid. He's he's from Florida as well, or he's he lives in Florida. No, right? he's Texas, Texas boy. Oh, he's Texas boy. Okay, right, right, right. Hey, um, let, me, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, I mean, it's totally aside from what we're talking about, but it, it'll be fun. It's all about you. Everybody will like boy. it. All right, me and Ezra used to go out to the test track. You know, he's sixteen. 17, something like that. You know, I'm 19, whatever. We're, we're both kids. And there yep. was a power line row that was sand whoops, and we had rental cars. So one of us would take the power line row, and the other one would have to take the road, which goes out a little wider, so it's a little further, but you're on asphalt. And mm-hmm. we come flying into uh, the test track, okay? We're meeting up because. I don't remember which one was which way, but like I'm trying to block him off, and so I block him off the road so he's off into the dirt, and he just hits the brakes in his rental car. Like I said, he's like 16. He just hits the gate of the test track, and just destroys the rental car, and we, there's like 15 Japanese guys from Japan from Suzuki there just standing there going, "What the fuck just happened?" I was just. I went, oh, my God, <laughs> Ezra, what would you do? Because he, he was so adamant on not letting me push him in that he got yeah. on the dirt. And then when he hit the brakes, he just slid, and he slid into, like, a 12-inch steel pole and just destroyed his <laughs> rail car. <laughs> and they're all yeah. standing there waiting for us to show up to test. Yeah, like thing. they're they're worried about you guys uh, hurting yourselves on on the motorcycles, and you guys are killing each other trying to just get to the track. How funny is that? So he just pulls That's in his much. car has to get towed, <laughs> and I guess you he had to give him a ride home. Yeah, but they, I got in trouble for it because I'm the older one, and I was encouraging it. I'm like, I didn't tell him to pull into the dirt and crash into the fence. But that, that's that's How pretty funny, they? right? For sure it is. Like, that's hilarious. Hey, this is Jared Steinke, and we're going to commercial. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You, too, can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner and generous eyeport design to accommodate any goggle choice or just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well... You better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. Ex-racing man. But more than bikes, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Oats for power. Bran's for speed. Ooh, that tastes what a delicious treat. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. 
When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand, that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian Round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12, the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. Two thousand and fourteen X Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys who are building wheels for Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown full rebuild on your forks or, or shock, call up Roy Borden today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. 
Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to Bill'sPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. Uh, how was the uh, how are the first supercross or the the factory supercross tracks? This is when they're they're really first coming into existence whatsoever. Like uh, what what were what were the locations like, and um, like how how much did they change throughout the nineties? Uh, they, they were horrible when I rode when I, when I rode for Honda for Mitch. It was at Honda Land. There, there's no water. There's no nothing. It's like a huge supercross track, like five times the size, nothing to, to like it should be. And then no water, no nothing. And then at uh, Suzuki, we we're at High Desert up in Atalanta. So your bikes don't work because the jetting's wrong because you're at high altitude. And then right. to fix the track, you know what they did? Because I always had dozers and loader, you know, tractors myself. They rented a like a skid steer, a bobcat. I don't know what you would call them. People call them something different, but they're skid steers. And yep, give it to me and tell me to go fix the track up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all right, because I like to do it. It didn't didn't bother me, but you know, I'm not building. Go build some big jumps or something professional supercross track you know what i mean not something to what we're what we're gonna race on you know and then cooper was on the team that year and he he liked to do track to work too so between the two of us we redo our supercross track they don't hire somebody to come and do it you know now now they hire somebody and pay them 100 grand or whatever and they make it to scale track well, you you and Skycoop uh, building tracks would uh, be a, be a little bit scary in the fact that you both like to jump big jumps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you still uh, like? Are you still in contact with with Guy at any at any point uh, in the last little while? Nope, nope. Been years, man. I, I really don't talk to no racing friends anymore. It's Phil okay. Lawrence. Okay. Phil Lawrence, my mom. Just, just Phil Lawrence. Well, um, now that you're on the, the, the factory team, and not to say that you wouldn't have had the opportunity with Mitch, but um, re- riding the, the 250 and the, the 125, uh, did you have any opportunities to go over to uh, over to Japan or over to Europe to do uh, some, some European supercrosses uh, either before the 92 season or uh, in like into 93? Yeah, 
Yeah, I did. Uh, I I usually limit myself just so I, I try not to burn myself out, but uh, about five to seven overseas races a year. Because you have to figure here we're doing 16 supercrosses, 12 outdoors, and then five to seven over there, and then you're doing a couple months of testing also, which, I mean, that that's pretty brutal. That's pretty much all year. You know what I mean? You don't get no real breaks. And, uh, but yeah, I did, I did a lot of uh, Europe and Japan, right? At least two in Japan, and then three or four in Europe. So like, a couple of, uh, at this point, you're 19, 20 years old. Uh, you're, 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 you're on top of the world. You've got your young teammates with you and other, other uh, guys that you're racing with. And uh, especially when you go over to Japan, you're the only guys who to speak the language. Um, like what kind of, like, did you guys kind of stay together as a bit of a, a group uh, when you're over in those, those races? And uh, like, what did you guys get up to when it's, uh, it's not race time? Uh, in Europe, a couple times, you know, we went and did the Eiffel Tower and, you know, I think it's called a luge. I don't know. All that yeah. stuff, you know, we went and did all that tour and stuff. But, in uh, we, yeah, we always kind of hung together in found of, mm-hmm. especially in Japan, you know, we hunted down the local McDonald's. <laughs> no matter what it was, McDonald's or KFC. Because I'm going to make a bold prediction that Brian Swink isn't a big sushi guy. No, I, no. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't mind it a little bit, but you know, yeah. it, it's not really <laughs> my thing. No, not really your thing. Now, uh, but uh, the um, sushi might not be your thing, but uh, 252 strokes are your thing. And um, although your championships were on a 125. Um, I, I would say your your speed really started to kick in and and, and hit its peak uh, in through the the ninety three ninety four seasons. Um, extremely dominant on the bike, always looked fast, um, but uh, but but no wins in there. Um, what changed for you going into that season? I don't know. It, it, you know, if I, I knew how to fix it, but I couldn't figure it out, and it, I started getting mental because I couldn't figure it out. Um, because I, I was training hard, I, I started seeing uh, sports psychologists. Uh, I started seeing trainers. Lots of things. To, thinking, you know, like I'm lacking something. Something's not. It, it's me. You know, I mean, I wasn't blaming nobody but me. In right. I, I, I could never figure it out. <laughs> so that led into year after year the same I don't know for me just blank stare like what do I do how how can I so that the, your your 90 92 92 career uh, uh, contract was that a two year deal or one year deal yeah I was a two year 92 93 and then stayed on Suzuki's for one more year in 95 or you switched to your Honda's in 95 um no, that's three, uh, three years. 92, 93, 92 on 125, right. 93 on 250, 94 on 250, then 95 right. to Honda Troy. How 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 are those Suzukis in, uh, in 93, 94 as far as the 250 goes? Uh, um, the bike did a lot of changing in that time. Uh, they were 
I, I hate to say it, you know, because I, I don't like to take it away from my responsibility to ride a motorcycle, but those things were pathetic. <laughs> to, you know, it, 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 I'm not blaming the bike because I, I was, by that time, having mental problems, like concentrating, like I'm, I'm riding fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth place in the Supercross, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Like, mm-hmm. my my mind couldn't concentrate no more. I, I don't know what it right. is. I guess I guess should have got on some of that shit that uh, Stewart takes. What is it? Some AD Adderall. <laughs> yeah, Adderall. Honestly. Something uh, like that, right? I mean, it, honestly, probably I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, I'm not knocking him for taking it, but when you, when you lose mind focus and you're riding a motorcycle at that level, you're probably not going to be that fast. No, for sure. And, um, like, uh, not, not to, not to blame him in any way, but, uh, how much did, um, seeing a, uh, a, a friend of yours, a former teammate of yours, a guy who you, you, you felt were you're a, you're a peer, uh, same speed as Jeremy McGrath, uh, move up to the 250, same year as you. I remember watching, uh, those races. Uh, obviously I was too young to watch them live, but I've gone back and watched them all. And, uh, in the earlier rounds, it was, who's going to, who's going to win more races, uh, McGrath or Swink. And, we 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 come to find out that uh, it was it was McGrath that uh, would 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 take off that year, and uh, and 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 you not so much. So like, how much did that um, kind of just just like did that fuel your your fire of uh, of uncertainty? Yeah, yeah, it killed me. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it was really really harsh for me. In I I couldn't get it because I was always better than him outdoors in equal or maybe better indoors and all of a sudden he starts winning and Jeremy's such a nice guy I mean he even told me after he won two races he's like swing because because I told you we were friends in 91 we we roomed together a lot we were you know I mean we weren't just we weren't just race buddies we were friends I I would call us friends and uh he's like dude time for you to win one of these things. He, he can see what I'm going through. Like, it's starting to play mind games with me. And, uh, it just, it never happened, man. Never did, but, uh, st- still enjoying the time on the bike. Were you, were you putting in as much time on the bike and putting as much, uh, tanks of gas through your motorcycle at this time? And, um, like, at this point, you're you're still doing a lot of testing in California. What type of uh, what was the scene like in California when the sport really started to pick up? And there's there's opportunities to go ride in the hills and enjoy all that is to be a factory rider in throughout the 1990s. It can't be anything other than fun. Yeah, it was fun. I, to tell you the truth, I, when I go ride in the hills with those crazy California clowns, they they would go like, "Dude, watch this!" And he, he got like a B-class rider, and he's just jumping up these cliffs. And they're like, dude, I ain't going up that thing. <laughs> I started to get scared in my life. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I started to fear things where before I, I didn't fear nothing. But you, you couldn't scare me. I'd try anything, but I started getting scared. 
and realized I wasn't doing so great and uh, probably this isn't a retirement career for me and I'm going to have to get a real job at one point in my life. You know what I mean? Every Everything's like starting to settle in and so, you know, what do you do besides just go, all right, let's milk this out a little bit and see what happens. If things don't work out, you'll get a real job. So at the time, um, in 94, 95, teammates like uh, Factory Phil Lawrence, I got to imagine the two of you guys heading over to Europe um, in the offseason and stuff like that. Uh, Factory knows how to have fun. I know you know how to have fun. Um, shenanigans ensue, and uh, I, I, I got to imagine. you got to have a story. All right. Me and Factory Phil, when I first met Factory, I went to – I got my Nissan pickup. It's the year I rode for Mitch, and uh, right. it was in the off season. I drove that little Nissan pickup, single cab, stick shift, all the way to California, and was staying out there. And then I show up at the airport to go to a race in Europe that Mitch set up for me in France, somewhere out in France. It's part of the France French Supercross Championship. At that time, France was the only one that had a Supercross Championship of their own. In I, I go to the airport and Phil Lawrence is there and just me and him, just the two of us. It wasn't a group race or nothing. And we went and we got a rental car. Nobody picked us up. Like normally they have people pick you up and stuff. And me and Phil drove around the airport for about 30 minutes because we didn't know S-L-R-T-E was exit. I don't even know how you say it. Sorte. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't get out of the goddamn airport so we're driving circles around the airport and we got to drive three hours two hours or whatever through France out into some small town to go race well anyways we went out there and I uh, I won one night it was a two night race and Phil won one night and uh, me and Phil became buddies you know, we, we, we still maintain friendship he's one of the only guys I still am friends with through motocross and uh, it, I was staying with a friend and who was going to college. I had a in California when I was out there. I had a mm-hmm. I don't know a rental unit thing. I had my motorcycles and stuff in there, and I was staying at an apartment. And then I started staying at Phil's house, and me and Phil became buddies. And then he got on Factory Suzuki when I was on Factory Suzuki, and we hung out. So. I would say Phil was always my best motocross friend. No doubt, and uh, and a good friend to have because uh, a big, tall drink of water like Phil Phil Lawrence and going fast on a motorcycle, uh, no no problem introducing himself to uh, the female population. <laughs> no, never. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, as as. As you guys moved into uh, the 1995 season, you're on the that was the uh, I believe the first rendition of uh, of Honda of Troy, and um, a bit of a, a rebirth for you, like uh, leading a lot of laps in Supercross and and doing really well outdoors as well. Uh, how how were the Honda of Troy bikes uh, on a team of the guys like uh, Todd DeHoop, yourself, um, Mike Brown, or yeah, Mike Brown and. Um, Mike Craig, who, uh, again, a guy who you, you've got to have some stories with. Yeah. Uh, that was a great team, man. I can't say nothing bad about 
that whole Honda Troy gig, like when I was there, you know, it, it was a, it was a top notch run program, especially to be a non-factory program. It made Suzuki's program look silly. And plus the 95 and 96 Honda, hard to beat yeah. that bike. Yeah. They're very good bikes in, yeah, uh, every everything was good there, and you know it. There again, that, that that's when my mind was becoming lost, and you know I, they don't want to spend a bunch of money with a guy that can't get us thinking right. So, um, and I understood it, and it was fine. Eric right. Keo was my team manager. And me and Eric had a lot of long conversations. And he, he understood what I was going through because he probably went through it himself. He didn't say that, but he probably did. That was before he became factory Honda team manager. So that that was his first step as a team manager, was working with me and Mike and Larry and Mike. <laughs> Who uh, who were some of the the best team managers that you had? Of course, you rode for Mitch Payton, a guy who uh, he's a character in the sport. He's a guy who probably um, he, most people think of him as a hard nosed guy, but a guy that I know likes to have a lot of fun. He's good with impressions and uh, he's he's sarcastic to to, to no end. Uh, but, but who were some of the the team managers that you really enjoyed working with? Uh, guys that uh, kind of got the uh, brought the best out of you. I would say the. Well, Mitch, I'm going to always yeah. say good things about Mitch. Mitch is a, he's an icon. To me, Mitch is better than Roger DeCoster. And I know that's pushing it, right? But I think Mitch is a great man. He's a great human. He'll tell you like it is. And he ain't going to sugarcoat it. And I like people like that. And other than that, um, Ray Tetherton was my team manager at Suzuki. He was a really nice guy, easy to get along with. Do you take his job serious enough? I don't think so. And not to discredit him, but I, I just don't think he took it to a high level. You know what I mean? That it should have been taken to. And Eric Kehoe was a great team manager. I have nothing bad to say about anybody that I ever rode for Eric Kehoe, to me, I, I have tons of respect for him because I said, hey, Eric, if you guys are firing me this year, you, you're not going to rehire me? Will you tell me? So that way I got chances to look for other jobs. And he's like, yeah. I will, Brian. And with four races to go, he called me to his hotel room and he told me. And his voice was shaky and he didn't want to say it. You know what I mean? It, it was hard for him. And he's like, this isn't my choice. This is the boss's choice. He said, I chose to keep you, but he said, there's nothing I can do about it because I don't write the checks. And But he was nice enough to let me know, so that way it gave me time to, you know, go fish in other wares. But, so a after a top five visit position in, in Millville, um, you get told uh, right around uh, Washougal, you won't be with the team next year. Yeah. Wow. And, and the guy they're keeping is getting 12th, 13th. But, you know, 
it's not my deal. It's not my team. I don't write the check. So. Right. So what? How? What was the Kawasaki deal in 1997? Uh, how did that come together? Um, how much support were you getting uh, from from in '97? Uh, very little. Um, I got stuff through a dealer right near where I lived, and then I went through Factory Cali. They said it's got to be a backdoor deal. We don't want nobody to know that we're supporting you. We don't want nobody to know that we have any involvement with you. So they give me bikes and any major parts, you know, cranks and cases, shit like that, you know. And then everything else would be put on the dealer to take care of. So it it was like a hidden deal. Yeah, but the, yeah. That, 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 nobody likes to feel hidden. Um, no, no one likes to feel like they're not proud to be supporting you. Um, how did that uh, kind of play on your psyche a little bit? Like, uh, oh, these guys are just supporting me, and they're they're not all that happy about it. I it, it didn't bother me because I was hoping that year I was going to go out and I was going to prove everybody to be fuckheads, dickheads. You know, what I mean, you messed up. You know, I'm going to go out here on this little privateer Kawasaki you know I'm gonna put it on your asses and I'll tell you what that year they hired uh Honda Troy hired Kudrowski and I teed him up in a corner and drilled that son of a bitch and uh neither one of us wrecked and but I passed him and like half a lap later he took both of us out and as he was picking his bike up because I was outside of him I kept stomping on his bike, knocking it out of his hand so he couldn't get up before me. We, we were already out of, you know, qualifying. It was just some qualifying, qualifying contention. Yeah. So the last chance, I lined up right beside him. And <laughs> it was just out of spite. And Mike didn't do nothing yeah, to yeah. me, you know. And I, I used to have this thing. And I, I used to teach Carmichael it. I call it the elbow hook. I pull my elbow mm-hmm. in going down the start straight. And I lift it up under their elbow, and I lift real hard, rip it hard, and it makes them turn left and takes out everybody to the left of me. So then <laughs> I got a clear track. <laughs> Kodrowski's going in the last chance. <laughs> he got balled up in a big pile up, got all cut up and stuff. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel That's bad That's a nasty now. move, man. Huh? That's a nasty move right there. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's pretty good, though. I've used it a lot in my career. There you go. And uh, I'd have to go back and look at Ricky's career as to see maybe when he he had uh, put the uh, something something similar together. Um, (laughs) Speaking of, um, who 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 are some of the younger riders that you had ridden with uh, later on in your career that you kind of felt like you maybe have uh, passed on some knowledge with? And uh, who are some riders that, uh, as you were coming through the, the ranks, that uh, you kind of looked up to, and or maybe some local guys in in uh, in Michigan that kind of took you under the wing a little bit? Well, Stanton tried to take me under his wing when I he 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 was ordered by Honda to get me to sign with uh, Honda for Peak before Peak was in existence. But then. He's like, yeah, you call me, you come to California and stay with me and we'll train, which probably would have changed my whole career, changed my whole life. 
And then yeah. when it got time to do that, after I signed the contract, he wouldn't answer his phone. I left multiple messages, and I, I'm not going to beg, you know? So I, I quit calling him. But I don't know. Uh, Keith Bowen? That's really too bad. That's uh, it's, uh, unfortunate that... Um didn't uh like that didn't come to fruition you guys would have been a good team right right you know he, he was getting paid to talk me into signing a contract they figured he's from michigan and i would listen to him and i did and then he called me to do something at redbud one time like the legends thing or something and i didn't call him yeah. back and he told it i Anthony Paggio works for Oakley. He's married to my cousin. He's like, well, Keith said, or uh, Jeff said you wouldn't even call him back. And I was like, no, because he didn't call me back after 10 calls one time in one year. (laughs) There you go, bam. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know. That's just how I am. Yeah, that's 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 fair dues, man. Uh, like uh, you, you didn't answer my call back in in 1991. I'm not I'm not answering yours in in 2008 when you want to uh, to to go roll around uh, Red Bull, which of course I, that's something that you probably would have enjoyed to do. But uh, like uh, the principle of it is that uh, yeah, you, you didn't get the the support you were looking for at a young age, and um, uh, af- even after some time, it still stings. But um, yeah. Uh, before before I let you go, I, I wanted to ask you uh, uh, about some of your your favorites, and uh, one of the things that I've always been curious about with your career uh, would have been uh, what was your favorite uh, venue to race at as a Supercross racer? Was there a particular dome or a particular stadium that you're like, I feel at home here. I can I can do well here. Well, of course, Pontiac. I mean, I- yeah. I love Pontiac because some people I know they 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 have issues when it's a local race, you know, close race. They don't feel more pressure or something. But for me, I, I feel more relaxed because I'm around my friends. Everything's normal for me. It's like my day to day life, and I just happen to show up to race motorcycles, which I already know how to do. So, yeah, Pontiac was always. There we go. We we can throw on Jeff Stanton again. Jeff Stanton, Michigan yeah. guy. He always mm-hmm. faltered at Pontiac. Where okay, like, yeah, that's true. Me at me at Pontiac, I always like my game was stepped up. And only thing I can say is just because I, I go full relax. A lot of people don't know. In this is just a quick something. I, I know you want to get off here, but. Uh, oh, I'm, I I could do this all for, night, man. I'm, I'm for talking the last to one of my three or four here. years. I I raced pro. I I threw up almost every moto because really? my my nerves. Yeah, and one time this is a good story too. Uh, I was at Troy, Ohio, and like when I get on the starting line, I'm ready to go, and like I start yelling and shit at the start. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, because I start getting nauseous. As soon as it starts, it's, it, it's gone. It immediately goes away. But they were standing out there getting ready to put the board up, but they weren't putting it up yet. And so I started getting nauseous, and I started screaming and yelling, trying to break my mind from thinking about vomiting. 
<laughs> I couldn't help it, and I just lift my helmet up, and I throw up right beside me, and LaRocco was <laughs> on the gate right beside me, and I just threw up all over his leg. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I felt so Ryan. bad. But no, but then, you know, the card's coming up at that moment, so we race, and so the next moto, we uh going up to the starting line, and uh, Mike says to me, he's like, hey, Brian. I was like, yeah. He's like, how is that spaghetti? Before the first moto. I was like, Mike, I'm so sorry, dude. That was so wrong. I said, but there was nothing I could do. I didn't have time to walk away from the motorcycle. I knew they were putting a card up any second. And he just laughed. <laughs> He's like, don't worry about it, man. It's funny. I said, I thought it was funny. No doubt. Well, it's a good thing you guys get uh, fresh gear every time you're on the motorcycle. Um, <laughs> is, uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to do a second moto in that stuff. <laughs> you got to admit that's pretty funny. <laughs> no, it is pretty funny, absolutely. Um, so you, you finished your, your career on uh, – you started your career on Kawasaki's. You finished your, your career on Kawasaki's. Um, on uh, on August 31st, 1997, uh, you finished uh, 16th overall. Um, did you know at that time that it was th- that that was done, uh, or uh, did you continue looking for a ride for 98? No, I uh, no, I had a couple different offers. Uh, I was at uh, Steel City was the last race, and I uh, fell in the first lap and blew an ACL, another ACL which would have been, I think, the third one. And uh, just laid there in the track until everybody went by and crawled off. And I told my dad, my dad was there that day, my mom and dad. And I, I said, Dad, whatever I do, I said, I know I'm going to start feeling better in a little bit. And, you know, after I have surgery and stuff, because, you know, you can hear it pop, you can hear it tear. You, you know what, you, after you do it enough, you know what it is. And, yeah. uh he he just says, and my dad, he, he was a badass, you know. He had tears in his eyes. And I said, just when I when I start feeling better, remind me that I don't want to do this no more. And uh, that was it. Wow. And when I start uh, feeling better, I, you know, of course, I thought about racing again. And I, I knew I would. That's why I told my dad, you, you got to be the one that, Tells me it's not possible no more. Just quit. And uh, oh, but yeah, I, I could have raced several more years, probably. Did you uh, like you like so? Yeah, once once that rehab was 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 done, you, you're off the bike altogether. Was there ever any either the four stroke nationals or anything like that that you uh, entered yourself in? Yeah, no, I went. Yeah, I did a uh, one arena cross and. Uh, Jimmy Stevenson bounced me off the track. I landed on the cement, which was fine. You know, I, I didn't get hurt, I didn't think. But then I got back on the motorcycle and rode the rest of the arena cross. I didn't. I, I couldn't even tell you what year that was, 2000, 2001, something like that. Jimmy okay. apologized. He said, somebody bumped me from the inside, Brian, and I hit you right on the takeoff of the double out of the corner. He said, you know, I wasn't being, a, I wasn't being dirty. I was like, yeah, I know. This stuff's tight and fine. Then I got up in the morning to put my socks on to go to the airport. And I couldn't move my thumb. I tore that ligament. I, I don't know. Like if you pull your thumb back, it's a ligament. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had it myself. Thumb and forefinger. And 
it tore that. And I, I tried to ride for several weeks, but my hand kept falling off the handlebar. And uh, I finally went and got an MRI on it. That was torn. So I was 13 weeks in a cast or something. I just said that. That's it. That's all she's got right there. Because it wasn't even my fault. You know what I mean? I, I didn't do nothing wrong. And I no, it's just a Rena Cross band that's racing. Yeah, I, I just trained my tail off for eight months to lose 30, 40 pounds so I could ride a 125 and a 250. Fucking a it, it, So it, it just pretty much confirmed that your racing's done. Um, so, and like I also mentioned, uh, like four stroke nationals, I know, uh, like, uh, Don, Don would be, uh, Don Schneider would be remiss if I didn't at least uh, try and bring up the, the four stroke nationals to you and like, did you race any of those? Uh, and if so, uh, what was it like jumping on uh, a four stroke machine? I really rode a four stroke probably five times in my life. Yeah. in those were like in blue jeans. Okay. So. Just no, a to- I, totally different thing. Okay. Right. I, you know, for me, I always rode gear high than everybody. And I, I like a luggy power. So four strokes probably would fit my riding really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, riding's in the past. And I don't, I don't see it ever happening again. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I know some people, but, you know, they think that's sad, but, but you know, at some point in life, you, everybody has to uh, give up on certain things. For sure. I, I stopped playing uh, full contact football at 22 years old, and there's a good chance that I will never uh, receive or give a hit like I did back in those days. And uh, <laughs> right. honestly, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay sure. with that. So, um um, that, that, that's cool to hear, man. Um, what were some of your favorite outdoor tracks? Like motocross, uh, has some of these amazing, beautiful tracks with awesome soil. Um, and, uh, one that all like, kind of sticks out to me when I look at your results is Millville. Um, w- was that one of your favorites? If not, what was? Yeah. Millville. I liked, uh, Washougal, my favorite. Millville. I, yeah, I really liked cause I, I like the sand whip area. Because I grew up riding sand, and I, I could kill them through the sand lift. I, I would do it in practice, and even Roger DeCosta would say to me sometimes, because he would stand over there in that sand lift direction where you go back and forth. And I, I passed three guys in one, two straightaways. And he would just be like, dude, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> he would ask me that, and he's not even on my team. I'd be like, oh, well, these idiots don't know how to ride through sand. <laughs> you know? But, uh, I would say, for me, Washougal. I like higher speed, sweeping, everything. Where I, I probably could have been really good in Europe at one point in life, you know, because they're the type of tracks I like. Was that I, ever I a thought for you, is to uh, to do the uh, the Mike Krajowski, Mike Brown, Ryan Hughes thing and, and, and go over to uh, try your hand in Europe? Nope. Because nope. I, I didn't, I didn't like to go there for the weekend. Uh, Fair enough. Um, Rhino, me and Rhino and Phil were, we were, three of us were pretty good buddies. We we spent a lot of time together, and uh, when our both all three of our careers were, you know, basically ending, 
you know, we could stay around and race and just, you know, get by. Or, or we could go to the subway and get by. You know what I mean? About the same yeah. thing. And uh, Lionel was like, come on, guys, let's go to Europe. I was like, I ain't going to Europe. Phil was like, I ain't going to Europe. And Lionel was like, why, dude? He said, my dad killed himself working labor. He said, you guys going to go work labor? And me and Phil both said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. He's like, I ain't doing it. I'll never, ever in my life work a normal job. This is Rhino, and I will make motorcycles my life forever, mm-hmm. which, which is great because he stuck to what he said. He went to Europe for several years, came back to the States, and raced a couple years, and now Yeah, he, almost won a he, championship. He, yeah, now he trains kids. Yeah. And, and Phil and I both, we just live a normal life like, you know, everybody else. How is Phil these days? Uh, I like, uh, he's got his lot sweeping business. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I believe he, he where, where, where's Phil living these days? Um, uh, still in Arizona? No, he's in California. Oh, he's in California. Okay. Yeah. So he's living, living there full know. time. Yeah. He, he lives there. He's born and raised there. He, he never leaves. He's got a wife. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got this little normal family, you know, does everything normal, I guess. I guess what most people consider normal. Paying bills and, and getting the stuff done. Uh, I'm sure, uh, like, if, if someone was to walk up to you today and uh, you were to tell them that uh, um, the, the stories you have and the, the type of career that you enjoyed, uh, they'd probably uh, uh, look back at you with one eyebrow raised. But uh, it's pretty cool to be able to say that uh, you, you raced these events and you're, at, you're under the lights and uh, you took many a moto wins uh, at the Supercrosses and heat race wins and semi wins and, uh, and and two championships to your credit. When you look back at your career, um, I, I'd like to think that you're able to pick out the the, the sh- most shining moments and uh, and look back at them fondly. Yeah, I, no, I don't. <laughs> That's what sucks. But you know, I'm not I'm not going to do a sorrow story or nothing. But no. I wanted to be a lot better than I uh, was. So, uh, to me, 125 Supercross championships were just something that you have to do to become great. And mm-hmm. I never did. So, so uh, what are I, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not like depressed or nothing. You know, it's, no. it's like it it sucks because when you want to reach a certain goal and you don't, yeah, you you consider it a failure. But, I mean, for most people, what I did is success. But for me, it's not. And if you don't set your goals high, then you will never reach a high goal. That that's very true, but uh, at the same time, I can't think of uh, I can't imagine someone can look back on uh, on going one one at their hometown Supercross in the lights class or the one twenty five class um, in nineteen ninety two and not smile a little bit about a doing that exactly winning those races as well as the uh, the celebration that ensued on the Sunday night after uh, a- after winning the day race on uh, on the Sunday. 
No, no, I'm, I'm, I was completely happy, of course. Like, <laughs> I, I was surprised at the time, you know what I mean? I, I didn't expect to win. I didn't expect to win that first race, you know, especially when I was in 10th place at one point or whatever, that first Orlando race. And then I just kept plucking through, plucking through, and then it came down to the last straightaway with me and Rhino, and I just laid off the back and said, let's see what happens. <laughs> and, you know, so, so yeah. Probably, for me, the, the happiest race for me ever was that first one because I didn't expect to win. I didn't expect right. myself to win. I, I knew I'd be good, I'd be competitive, but I didn't expect to win. And when I did, my confidence went through the roof. And it, it, it changed my career path. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and you, you, like, um, you're very successful in, in throughout your entire career as, uh, like, you may not say that you, you achieved all of your goals, but, uh, that's, that's, that's the way things go. You don't get to, like, not everyone gets to achieve all of the goals that they set forth for themselves, but, uh, um, still a lot more moto wins than a lot of other guys have in their careers and, uh, two championships that uh, a lot of guys, uh, can't, can't say they have either. Um, who who are some of your greatest rivals or some of the guys you enjoyed racing with the most? Uh, maybe someone that didn't park you uh, after uh, taking your ride away the, the year before. I, I didn't have nobody I really disliked. I, I pretty much got along with everybody. So I gave respect to them, and I think in turn they gave respect to me. So... Well, they had I to was, because you were showing them all the jumps to do on on during <laughs> Yeah, one time Jeremy, we were a first lap of something, and I was outside and I jumped in and he doubled. I singled in, and he doubled and hit me, it knocked me silly, man. I flipped off the motorcycle, and I all, <laughs> first thing I did, I looked up like being a Canadian, you know, I looked up. I said, I got his number. Bam, he's. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and I actually knew it was. And then Hockey the, reference. I love the it. next, yeah, the next week we were uh, lining up. It was at uh, like Anaheim or somewhere. And he's like, "Swingster, we were lining up for practice." He's like, "I know I got one coming to me." He's like, "I didn't mean to. I promise you, Ryan, I didn't mean to." He said, "Cause I was in the air." And he said, "And you turned inside." And he said, "There's nothing I could do." And he said, I knew I drilled you. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I said, that's all right, Jeremy, as long as you know you got one coming, because I'll get your ass sooner or later. And he just laughed. <laughs> he, was like, he just laughed. He was like, I know, dude. I just, I just want to let you know. I understand I got one coming. <laughs> like, pretty much everybody, we were cool like that. You know what I mean? That that's so, good that uh, uh, you you didn't let his nice guy act uh, to work on you and that uh, he didn't he didn't have one coming after that. I, I like that you uh, confirmed that yes he does in fact have one coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get you. I, I was I'll get you. One of the more aggressive guys, you know. And okay. Every, everybody knew it, and, but I I didn't go out of my way to do something stupid, and, and not many people did. We, we were all pretty good together, you know. You respect each other. I mean, when you ride together every weekend, you've got to respect one another. And you get a guy like, say, Guy Cooper. I mean, I love Guy Cooper. You know, we were great friends. But, boy, you can't trust him when he's near you because you don't know what the hell he's going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's out of control. 
but majority of the people are you can trust and you they know what they're doing and you know what they're doing so you don't really have to worry about them you can ride your own lines in your own race but yeah i so yeah i, I got along pretty much good with everybody had a few run-ins with some people but they were short-lived you know one or two and that was it had words and but both forgot about that there you go. Uh, usually, pretty pretty easy to get along with everyone when nobody wants to mess with you. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's what it really comes down to, man. Um, well, Brian, uh, it's it's been a, it's been a great time chatting with you. Um, I, I've really enjoyed being able to to go down memory lane and and chat about uh, just the the great memories that you have of the sport and uh i know we didn't hit on everything uh that we could talk about and, and that's why i'd like to invite you on uh to to do this again sometime to, to chat and just rehash old times tell old stories uh, and uh we'll definitely uh plan that out down the road yeah sounds good man and thanks, awesome. thanks for having me on you know i i'm just an old guy that have good memories i i, I don't I don't ride no more. I don't really have much to do with motocross anymore, but well, there's a lot of fun stuff. I, I could tell you guys stories for days on days. Perfect. Well, that, that, uh, that sounds like a lot of ammo for a uh, oh, big MX so radio podcast You guys are shit your pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Brian. Well, like I said, thanks again for giving me some time. Don't hang up just yet because we've got some more things to talk about uh, off air, but uh, um for, for podcast sake, we'll, we'll break it off right there. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.